So Judges chapter 4. And we're going to do a combination this week of Judges chapter 4, uh, verse 10 through 16. And then we're going to skip to Judges chapter 5 and read 1 through 23. And the reason is because those verses deal with the same set of events. So chapter 5 helps us to interpret chapter 4. That's why we're going to do that. I promise we will get through it in a reasonable amount of time. So Judges chapter 4, and I will start reading in verse 10, which is where we left off. And Barak called out to Deborah, or Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zamanim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinadam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harash Hagoyama to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hegoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and not a man was left. And then in chapter 5, I'll read verse 1 through 23 of this section. It says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Aboinam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, and the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel, and they ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel, when new gods were chosen, when there was war in the gates, and was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of the musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, and break out in a song. Arise, Barak, and let away, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down march the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord march down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim their root they march down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kingsmen. From Akir march down the commanders, and from Zebulun those who hear, who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley, they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of the heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of the heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did you stay with the ships? 
Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulon is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their course, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So these sections of text in Judges uh, fit together because in Judges chapter 5, it is a song about the events that took place in Judges chapter 4. And the verses we just read have to do specifically with the verses we read in chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. The title of this section of uh, text is God's Deliverance. And you get that strong vocabulary of God's deliverance throughout the whole book of Judges. But I think it's worth noting the verbs that you see of God in this passage. And I just want to start early in chapter 4, where you see different things that the Lord does. Uh, You see early in chapter 4, verse 2, that the Lord sells them into the hands of Jabin. You'll see uh, in verse 6 that it is God who commands Barak to go and gather the men. Uh, It is God who says he's going to draw out Sisera in verse 7. It is God who says he's going to give Sisera into the hands of Barak in verse 7. It is God who says he's going to sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. We'll get to that uh, section of text next week. And then here in the text, you see in verse 14, Deborah saying that, Is it not God who goes before you who has given Sisera into your hand? And you just see the, the movement of God in the text to provide the deliverance. And I think that's important to point out. Because looking at this uh, from a historical perspective, it could be easy to say that Israel had a mighty military victory over the people. And while that is true, the victory is not because of Israel's military prowess. And that's going to become clear in the interpretation of chapter 5 when we move through that text. So the first thing you're going to see in this text um, is the call to arms. And that's what we read there in verse 10, Barak marching down uh, and calling people to him. He, it looks that he gets 10,000 men that go up at his heels. And this is probably worth noting in scripture, whenever there's a round number like this, that doesn't have to mean there was exactly 10,000 people. Scripture is allowed to do estimates when it accounts for numbers of people. You'll see these differences, for example, in the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, where there's round numbers or round offs of the numbers of people. That doesn't threaten the inerrancy of scripture. What that does is they're allowed to use numbers in the same way that we use numbers, where we say there was about so and so many people there. They're giving a round estimate for the number of people. When there's more specific accountings of genealogies, you'll see they actually don't round off the numbers. They go down to the actual, like, there's uh, 67 people in this group or whatever. They'll, they'll count down to the actual person. But when they use round numbers, it's probably safe to assume that it was around that many people. And so you see that here. Uh, and what you'll notice is that while Barak calls to uh, these different tribes, not everyone in Israel responds the same way to the call. So 10,000 people march down with Barak at his heels following with him and Deborah. But you'll notice in chapter 5, you see this lack of response from some people. And we'll talk about this at the end, what it looks like to be faithful in the response to God. But I just want you to see at least the, the plot building of the call to arms. And then you see the, the corresponding uh, building of the plot uh, with Sisera's army in verse 12. So Sisera hears Barak is now going to oppose him and he amasses his troops. And so you have 10,000 Israelite foot soldiers 
without weapons, uh, or they might have like farmer's tools to use in war, but they don't have swords or spears or military weapons. And then you have Sisera's army, which is summarized with the statement 900 chariots of iron. That doesn't mean they only had chariots, but what that means is that's where the might of his army comes in. So he's got horses, he's got people on the chariots. Uh, the chariots uh, are, are built out to be formidable things uh, to fight against. I think last week I referenced, it would be like foot shoulders today going up against a tank. It would be that kind of imbalance in, in the battle. So Sisera's army uh, goes down and Sisera calls his people and they're gonna meet in this, in this battlefield. And if you were to go in a map, you could, you could find where this battlefield is. You could see it's, you know, you could segue between the two pieces. Um, I'm not a geography person, but uh, you, could, you could trace these out in, in your Bible maps. And what you find is the place where they battle becomes significant for its location. And that location becomes important because of the kind of victory that God delivers to the people. But right now you just see kind of the building of these two different forces. And as a reader, you're left to wonder, okay, 900 chariots versus foot soldiers. We kind of know how this is going to go. Now, if you're reading the Bible, you kind of have probably in your mind, we know that the people who God has on their side or the people who have God on their side, those are the group that's going to win. But if you're just reading this from a, a human perspective, you can see the odds are stacked against Barak and the people of Israel. But Barak still goes down faithfully, marching with the people. 10,000 people faithfully respond, and they go up against Sisera and his group. And there's this piece in verse 11, which we'll talk more about next week. But I think something it points out to us is there's no even minute detail that's outside of the providence of God. Verse 11 gives us an insight as to how God has been preparing this exact deliverance years in advance of this exact moment. So this isn't uh, Israel becoming politically angsty and then all of a sudden trying to deliver victory. God's actually put the different tools in place, raising up Deborah, raising up Barak, raising up Sisera, and now raising up uh, this random person from the tribe of the Kenites and moving them to a specific location away from their tribe. And you're going, well, what detail does that have to do with? And we'll talk about that more next week. But that's a detail that shows us that there's no, not even the moving of houses for farming is outside of the providence of God as it comes to him orchestrating his salvation. And that's important because in the New Testament, there's small details that needed to be in place for the greatest salvation that humans ever saw. And none of those details fall outside of the providence of God. And we get pictures of that here in the book of Judges. So after you see the call to arms, the next thing you're gonna see in the text uh, is the divine action, the divine movement of God in the battle. You see that it's God who acts. In verse uh, 14, Deborah says to Barak, uh, presumably to start the battle, so the, the, the sides of a mass, they've kind of squared off against each other. And then you see Deborah say, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. That affirms the previous prophecy that she has stated. And then she says this in question form, does not the Lord go out before you? She asked the question, does not, is it not God who goes up before you? And it's a rhetorical question, which is, yes, God does go out before him. And if that's true, there should be no fear of Sisera. There should be no fear of the opposing armies because God plus his people make a majority. It doesn't matter the military might. It doesn't matter the strength of the opposing side. God plus his people makes the majority. Whoever God fights for wins out in the end. You're going to see this even more pronounced later in the, in the text that deals with Gideon and his salvation. So in this case, uh, that question is asked, does not the Lord go out before you? And so on that command or that prompt, Barak goes down and he fights against Sisera. And then you have uh, one of the strangest phrases, I think, in the, in the ESV uh, at this point. It says the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots when they go against him. 
Now, if you don't know what that means, uh, or you might have an NIV Bible, it actually explains this, I think, in a little bit more interpretive detail. Uh, it says something to the effect of the Lord throws Sisera and his men into confusion uh, with a thunderstorm. And you get that even more clearly in chapter 5. So I want to flip back to chapter 5, that song, and you can see the interpretation uh, of these pieces. So the first verse I want to draw your attention to is chapter 5, verse 4, where it says that the Lord went out from Seir when the Lord marched out into the region of Edom. So it's giving the Lord verbal uh, actions that he's doing. Um, and then it says, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. So it's raining down rain. And that, that becomes important because then in verse uh, 20 of that same text in, in chapter 5, it says, from heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. And then in verse 21, the torrent Kishan swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishan, march on my soul with might. So the, the victory is given not by the military conquering of the Israelites, but God throws the army of Sisera into disarray. And he does the one thing that chariots can't deal with, which is he creates muddy ground. So he rains down in Kishan, which is a place known for flash floods. He overwhelms and swells the waters up, causing like a muddy mire. And now chariots, which rely on wheels and horses that can have traction, are completely useless. The other time in scripture God does this is when the Israelites are squaring off against Pharaoh and his armies, and they're backed up into a water. And God causes the waters to part, Israel to walk over the dry ground. And then when the, when the army of Pharaoh follows after Israel, the water becomes wet, or the ground becomes wet. The chariots get stuck and the water crashes down over them to give them victory. By the way, in both of those instances, the Israelites are poorly armed and not able to stand against chariots. And God delivers both victories in the same kind of fashion. I think it's also significant with this kind of salvation from God that we recall something that happened in chapter 1, which is when the Israelites are going to fight against the people, the tribe of Judah decides not to go against people to drive them out because those people have chariots. And specifically, the people don't go against them, and it's cited that it's because they're more powerful. And here we see God delivering the people from chariots at a huge military disadvantage, and it's proving the fact that it wasn't that Israel actually didn't do it because of a tactical reason. They didn't do it for a lack of faith. And here Barak acts with faith. Deborah leads him on and spurs him on into faith. And so God delivers a great salvation for the people of Israel. And you see his divine action in this text. By the way, God is sovereign over all creation. So this is not a random flash flood that happened. This is not a random earthquake. This is not a random uh, chaos that was caused. This was an intentional salvation delivered by God through his creation. And there's one more thing to note in verse uh, 20. It says, when the he from heaven the stars fought, and from their courses they fight against Sisera. There's something theologically significant about that, which is that the pantheon of the Canaanite gods deals with the heavenly bodies. They believe Baal and their pantheon is representative uh, controlling over the stars. Baal is a god of fertility, so he can control the heavens, he can control rain. And here God, through his actions, is proving it's not Baal who has control, it's not Asherah who has control, I have control of the rain, and I will use it as I please, and I will dispose of it as I want to. In this case, uh, explicitly against an army of the Canaanite people. And so you see uh, God at work to deliver this salvation. And then the, the last piece of this text uh, that, that is interesting to, to note, not only does Sisera get routed, thrown into chaos, not only does his army get defeated, uh, but you see in verse 16, Barak pursues the chariots and the army all the way to Hasheroth Hegoyim, and it says that not one man was left. So the entire army of Sisera 
is destroyed. In fact, only Sisera flees away on foot, and as we'll find next week, not for very long. But the entire army is destroyed. God has delivered salvation. And then in chapter 5, we see that there's this tension between the people who faithfully respond to the call of God and the people who don't. And there's a specific reference to this. For example, if you see in verse um, 14, for example, it says that uh, they follow after Benjamin, their kinsmen. They come down from Akir and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. Verse 15, the prince of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar faithful to Barak into the valley. They rushed at his heels. So these are people who are responding to the call, coming down and obeying God and, and being part of that group. And uh, earlier in the text, you see, uh, for example, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, the leaders who took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. These people are to be commended for their bravery in battle, for their faith, their demonstration of faith. And that's contrasted with the other group of Israelites that's mentioned. And you'll see that uh, in verse 15. It says, among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of the heart. And it might seem like Reuben was being very spiritual and thinking things out. But what it's saying is Reuben sat and thought and considered whether they should go up with Israel or not. And they just said, and they just sat there and they just never actually did anything. They just sat there searching their heart and saying, we should consider these things. But they didn't act in a timely fashion. And so Reuben is, to be not, is not to be commended for their searching of the heart. It's not a good thing that they did that. The second thing you see is in verse 16, it says, why do you still sit among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling of the flocks? The point is, there's a group of people that is considered tending to their sheep more important than answering the call of God to go into battle and to deliver the people. You see the same thing in verse 17. It says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, so they don't come across into battle with us. And Dan, which is a commercial uh, seaport for the Israelites, just stays with their ships. They stay doing their commerce. They, they, essentially, they keep their pattern of life and they don't change their pattern to respond faithfully to God when he calls for a moment of salvation. And all of that could be taken as potentially neutral. You know, they're not to be commended for it, but they're also not to be chastised until you see in verse 23 of chapter 5 that the angel of the Lord curses Miraz specifically because they do not come to the help of the Lord. So this is not a neutral thing. This is something worthy of a curse being heaped upon them. And it's not a curse from Deborah. It's a curse directly from the angel of the Lord, which we discussed last time is most likely Jesus himself a theophany in the Old Testament, if you like. And so Jesus is cursing these people directly for not responding to God when he calls for the salvation. And in this, I think you have a picture of what faithfulness looks like. And we can often ask the question, well, God, was he sovereign over this victory to deliver the people? Yes, absolutely. But all the people who respond in faith are to be commended for their faithfulness in their response. And all the people who don't respond in faith are to be cursed and to be chastised for their lack of engagement with the sovereign salvation of God. And so we can, we can ask questions all day, well, if these people showed up, would it have been a greater salvation? We, we, that's not what the text is leaning to. What it's saying is there are people who responded faithfully to the salvation, and there are people who did not. And the people who didn't are to be cursed for their lack of response. And the people who did respond faithfully are to be commended for their demonstration of faith. I think in the, in the New Testament, there's this parable that Luke tells, or it's told in the Gospel of Luke by Jesus. And it says... Uh, Jesus uh, is essentially inviting people into the banquet, the wedding feast. And he sends people out into the land and he says, come join me in my feast. And they say, well, it, we have to tend to our sheep. We have to tend to our flocks. We have to tend to our harvest. We have to tend to uh, my wife and my, my children who've just been married. And he, what he's saying is what wicked people they're cast out of the banquet. The banquet is now for others. And you get the same kind of picture of Israel here where they, 
there, it seems like there's a divided nation. Some people respond faithfully and others don't. And in that, I think there's much for us to learn. Uh, the first piece that I think is worthy of learning or worthy of looking at uh, is in verse 14 when De- Deborah says to Barak up, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And that question, I think, is a question that we can ask, not in a spiritual sense of like, you know, that means this today, but that same question, I think, can be asked of us in, in, as New Testament believers of what are the promises that God has assured us of, that he has promised he's going out before us in victory, in power, in assurance, that we are supposed to take confidence in and, and seize the moment. So for Barak, that promise is specifically victory over Sisera. But I think as New Testament Christians, we have promises like uh, the Lord uh, who, who began your calling will work it out to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And so you could ask the question, well, uh, does not the Lord guarantee that you will endure to the end and be faithful? So take heart and endure faithfully. That's, a, that's an encouragement that we have in the New Testament. And that's something that's similar. God promises this for us. And so we can seize that promise as New Testament believers. We have the same thing with, um, with God saying that uh, he will be faithful to return back to us. And so we can endure faithfully because we know Christ is coming back. We know he's going to return. And so does not the Lord promise he's coming back for his people, promise he's going to rule and reign righteously, promise he's going to establish peace. And if he promises those things as New Testament believers, we should take heart and we should live our lives as if that promise is real and tangible and possible and walk out our Christian lives in response. Because when Barak does that in response to the promise that he's given, that's a great salvation that's delivered to him. And if we do the same thing with the promises that we've been given in the New Test, in the New Covenant, I think we can expect that same kind of faithfulness from God. In fact, in, uh, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, we see that Paul writing to Timothy says, uh, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And he's giving us an encouragement that he is sure whether we're faithful or not faithful. And that's even drawn out in chapter 5 where we see the Israelites uh, in verse 6, 7, and 8 when they're, when they're at their weakest, when they've raised up new gods, when they don't have weapons, That is when you see the strong contrast of a God in verse 4 and 5 who's sovereign over heaven and earth, who can cause mountains to shake, the earth to tremble, and who can deliver even the most mighty enemy army into the hands of his people. And if he could do that then in a military sense, he can do that with all kinds of salvation. In fact, this is considered a much lesser salvation than the kind of salvation we have access to in the New Testament. And the author of Hebrews says, actually, will not we who ignore this kind of salvation be, be more accountable for neglecting such a great salvation as the kind of salvation offered in Christ Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so we should take heart from these testaments of God delivering his people over and over and over again and not let that casually just bounce off of our ears and, and move on to the next thing, but something we should actually dwell upon and take courage in and it should strengthen us for the day. It should strengthen us because he consistently delivers these kinds of victories. And for Israel, Uh, it gets worse the longer they forget God and forget those kinds of victories. And I think that is just as true of us who have an even more, a a greater body of witness of the faithfulness of God an even greater salvation that's been offered to us. So we shouldn't be like the clans of Reuben who just ponder and who just sit there and who don't actually act on the promise as it's been stated. So, yeah, I think that's uh, worth considering uh, in all its aspects. And we will finish up this text next week when we discuss the the finality of the the salvation uh, of Sisera being given over uh, finally to uh, the people of Israel. So let's close in prayer and then we can move into discussion. Father God, you are certainly good to us, uh, to your bride. Uh, You 
Promise us in your word that you uh, are a just God, a God full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, we, we ask that um, we would be a people who take you at your word, who believe your promise and who um, can act in faith. Lord, you uh, consistently deliver yourself to be a faithful God to your people, despite their lack of faith. So Lord, I pray that uh, we as a people and as a body um, would not be like the Israelites, quickly forgetting of our salvation, quickly forgetting of the, uh, the great blessings and many benefits found in you, um, but that we would take the warning uh, and heed the warning, uh, learning from the text, uh, because these things that were written in former days were written for our instruction, so that we would have hope and endurance and encouragement uh, as we live our lives and we walk these things out. We ask and we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.